Welcome to this week's Tell Me About the Podcast. This week we run through the business basics and fundamentals to consider before you start your business. We hope you enjoy. Hi Dad. Hey Beth, how you doing? Good, thank you. Rather than catching up on the week this week, I thought maybe we should explain what our intro and outro is, the music. Oh right, gosh. Yeah, so the band is Exit, I'm playing the drums, this is the late 70s. We had been to Warwick Recording Studios because we couldn't find anybody who would help us to produce a demo tape. And we bought an overnight session and we had written eight songs. This is one called Cruising. We laid down those eight songs as best we could. Our equipment was woefully inadequate, but a sound engineer waved his magic over how the instruments sounded once it was recorded and put something together which was perfectly adequate. We took the demo tape away with us and made copies and started to send it off to INR men, record producing companies, that sort of thing. And uh, we got uh, we got a sniff. There was a company that said, if memory serves, we think you'd work well in an American market. So we're going to set up an American tour for you. Uh, you're going to go over there and do that tour on, at your own cost and expense. And if you fill the second half of the tour, if you put more than 50% of the seats are sold, we'll, we'll have proven you're an American market attraction and bring you back and record the album with you. Where do we, where do we have the money to <laughs> take us and all of our equipment on a, you know, to yeah. America and on a road trip around America? I think I have um, a picture from a news clipping of the band so maybe i'll post that on the that's probably static not exit i'll have a look is that is that um is that me holding a pair of drumsticks up in the background yeah and some and we're all wearing the same shirt we all have the same haircut yeah that was static that was a school that (laughs) was 1975 76 was 15 or 16 (laughs) then yeah no exit was a little bit more sophisticated i don't think there are any photographic records of exit so yeah please don't associate that one (laughs) completely different group of boys so last episode we were talking about entity types and you mentioned that there is a basic business setup that needs to be thought about. Can you tell me what you mean by basic business setup? Yeah, absolutely. These are very important. These are what I would call parts of the business fundamentals, the building blocks that will enable you to get on and have great fun working in your business. These are these are bits of the working on your business that are essential. Let's first of all think about what responsibilities you will have when you become self-employed. I'm going to assume for the moment that you're going to start your self-employment journey, your entrepreneurial journey as a sole trader, not necessarily as a limited company. You've got responsibilities, however, around record keeping particularly. You must have a business bank account. I say must because that's my strong, unwavering advice to anybody who's about to start up their own company. Do not try and run your business activities out of your private bank account. All manner of problems will arise in due course. Open a business bank account and that is where all of the transactions, cash in, cash out, will occur relevant to your business. It becomes the single source of the truth of the activity of your company. Remember, cash is king. We've talked about that several times before and it comes back up here again. 
Every day, you need to be in your business bank account, monitoring where you are, checking your balances, thinking about how you can bring forward money that's owed to you, managing those debtors, collecting that cash that is due to you as quickly as possible, and thinking about who you owe money to, your creditors, and working out when is the last acceptable time I can pay them. So you're stretching out what you pay, collecting quickly what is owed to you. Every day, I want people to be thinking about those things so that cash is never the surprise problem. It may be a problem, but it shouldn't be a surprise. One should see cash problems coming. um, And to that end, that you should be projecting forward any way you choose to in the early days. But don't be surprised. Put in when your annual payments, your monthly payments, your quarterly payments are going to be due and how much they are. Put in when you expect to convert the invoices you've raised or the sales you've made into cash. And make sure that the timing of your receipts is broadly in line with the timing of your expenses. So there's always enough cash to cover those. And if you see there's a problem, do something about it, um, which we've talked about in separate episodes. But a fundamental part of your responsibility and a business basic is to create that business bank account and then work with it as a tool to ensure the liquidity of your business interests that your startup doesn't trip over at the first hurdle of not having enough money to pay its rent or for stock or whatever it might be. That seems to be quite a simple process now doesn't it like for example Starling they you can open a business bank account on just on the app you don't need to go into a branch and very much so yes there's no barrier to opening a business bank account Um, and I also think a lot of those disruptive um, modern online banking accounts may not have many or any charges for businesses whereas the high street will want to charge you for your business bank accounting as well The next level of record keeping is for taxation purposes. Bear in mind that your tax that you pay on the earnings that you make as a self-employed person may actually be your biggest expense. Yet most people will see tax as just a necessary evil that they'll get round to at some stage. But if you think about it as your biggest expense, wouldn't you want to be doing things that try to manage that expense as best you can? Financial records are where you need to be in this regard. Um, As you go, not waiting until the end of a year to produce financial information, as a minimum, you need to be thinking about recording your income. That's the invoices you raise, ways in which the money comes into your business, the sales you make, recording your expenses in categories. What are you spending your money on? Keeping the receipts, etc. Making sure that that income and expenditure paperwork trail reconciles to the bank so that there's an important Um, connection there between what's actually happening in your bank balance and what you think is happening in terms of invoices for sales made and receipts and uh, invoices for things purchased. It's the basis of a simple form of profit and loss account, which you don't need to worry about it being in the first instance. That can wait the production of the P&L, but certainly that um, day-to-day recording of the transactions that bring in money to your business and that cause your business to spend money are very important. Stock management is another important thing if your business um, involves stock. What you should do, because all of the above is what you, in my opinion, must be doing, but you should be also thinking about what things are you buying that are investments for your company that may need to be replaced in due course. What What is the timing of certain payments and certain um, 
receipts that you may have. These things will feed into the balance sheet in due course. And if you're aware of those, or you have someone who's working um, with you or in your business who's aware of those, then by all means start to monitor your balance sheet position as your business develops from its startup point onwards. But that's not necessary. If those things are all alien to the entrepreneur, you can leave those to one side for the moment. Um, and you'll just make your you'll make your decisions based upon the cash position of the company and its needs to move forward. But those financial records, very important aspect. And never forget that tax is probably your biggest expense and needs to be properly managed. I think the third category of record keeping as a, as a business basic is um, related to matters of health and safety. It is, a, it is a big issue for yourself and for any employees that you may have, contractors that you may use, um, the legislation that places liability on the part of business owners now for health and safety is extensive um, and quite onerous. So risk assessing situations that you may be in, producing policies and procedures to minimise those risks. So for example, Beth, in your situation, there should be in place something that you look at. So if you're being asked to go and look at a rundown old building to start a process to produce an interior design for the new owner of that building. There should be some system you have in place that ensures that you have assessed the risks of you going into that old building to measure up, look around, whatever it might be, before you go in there. And that risk assessment document process, it could be in your head, but it would ultimately and preferably be written, especially if you've got employees that you would be asking to go in and do a measurement survey or find out information for you, photographs, etc. Um, so, so health and safety is a very important, somewhat mundane and boring topic, but it fits into so many modern businesses and can't be ignored. Yeah, better to tick the boxes than to. Very much so. Yes, it's a liability issue. Best way to avoid liability as a as an entrepreneur is to demonstrate that you did everything reasonably possible to ensure that the risk for which you may be held liable was minimised or um, removed. So responsibilities is the is an important building block, a business basic, and under that, the three record-keeping rules of your bank account, information relating to your financial records, and then those health and safety issues. Insurances, this is an interesting part of the business basics, I think. Every uh, company is going to require public liability. Even if you're trading on your own as something else, not as a limited company, you still require public liability insurance to be able to trade. So that's an insurance policy, not terribly expensive these days, but it's an insurance policy that makes sure that if you're um, you're outside that said old building and you lean out of a window and you knock a loose brick as you do and it falls and hits uh, hits somebody on the head on the pavement below, that's, that's your liability to the public for the behaviour of you within the company which you're working in, or your, your own self-employment involvement, your sole trader situation, and you can insure against that so that that person, when they decide they need a million pounds worth of surgery or or recompense that that's an insured loss rather than a loss that's going to come back and be your own responsibility. If you have employees, you'll need employer liability insurance. So same as, so if it's an employee who falls out of that window three stories and breaks their neck, um, there's an insurance policy in place that will cover the claim that will be made upon you as the company for your negligence in the uh, situation that arose. And then the third insurance to give consideration to, because I public liability 
liability is, I believe, a mandatory requirement as soon as you start trading. Employee liability, uh, likewise, as soon as you employ. And then professional liability needs to be given consideration. Professional liability is for the errors and omissions, the negligent act of you holding yourself out to be a professional. So, for example, again, when I had my surveying practice, I was required to have professional liability insurance by the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors who oversaw the way that I conducted my business as a chartered surveyor, holding myself out as somebody that people can place a high degree of reliance on in the advice which I give. If it goes wrong, it is necessary that there be an insurance policy behind my company that ensures that whoever makes a claim has a pot of money they can get at. Because if I don't have the professional indemnity insurance, it's all about how well my business is doing and what my own personal net worth might be as to whether there's any money that somebody can claim from me or not. So professional liability insurance in some cases may be mandatory, but should always be thought about as to whether it's a a risk being taken within your business that should be insured. Another business basic will be to think about both domestic sales tax, so here in the UK, value-added tax, this tri- this is triggered depending on what you sell and at what levels you sell it as to whether you need to be VAT registered or not. Can also be, you can elect to be VAT registered even if you don't hit those limits. If you are making substantial purchases uh, where VAT is being charged upon you, um, bear in mind that if you register for VAT, everything you sell has to have VAT added to it. So if you're selling a cup of coffee for £2 and the coffee shop next door is selling it for £2 and you elect to be VAT registered, you'll start having to sell your cup of coffee for £2.40 because it'll be 20% more expensive than the next next door one. But what you can do then is reclaim the VAT on all the coffee that you buy, which your next door neighbour who's not that registered can't do. So considerations there around domestic sales tax and then if you're importing and exporting there are specific considerations around the rules of importing exporting and the taxation related to that finally in under this heading of business basics i think we need to think about contracting you're going to need to have proper forms of contract with your customers about what is the deliverable the time cost and quality relating to those deliverable is there after sales responsibilities care what's the payment plan and method for your product or service the this documentation needs to be fair but frankly should be to your advantage you should be limiting your responsibilities and liabilities and maximizing the return that you get for the provision of the service or the product and there's contract management and project management linked up in all of that as well and then on the other side of your business so that's all with your customers making sure you're delivering exactly what they're buying hopefully going a little bit beyond their expectations because that's a great secret to success within small and micro businesses is to deliver a service that is surprisingly good for the money that the customer is paying and that drives loyalty drives goodwill drives word of mouth all those things are vitally important to the young aspiring in company and then on the other side of that equation is contracting with suppliers which is all of the above exactly what am I buying what's the time cost and quality of that Um, is there an after sales component to it when do I have to pay and how do I have to pay and this time you want to try and negotiate those contracts so that they are fair but you're trying to dilute the advantage inherently built in them to the person supplying to you so just trying to get a little bit of middle ground in terms of payment terms or discounts for 
quantity or whatever it might be. So just to recap on that, I think there's four components to these business basics, these foundations which will enable you to move on with the thing you want to do in your entrepreneurial uh, journey. Those responsibilities for record keeping, insurance considerations, taxation around VAT, import, export, etc. And then contracting with customers and with suppliers. So for people that aren't mathematically inclined, let's say, (laughs) and would be worried about some of those uh, factors, can that be done by others or does the entrepreneur have to do that? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, You want to be minimising your expenses. A lot of people will believe that they can do everything even though they aren't really equipped to do everything. And some people will just have the wherewithal, whether it be savings or investment they've brought in. Um, They'll have started up their, um, their entrepreneurial journey with enough money to surround themselves with people who are good at the things that they're not good at. I think that um, bookkeeping is perhaps the one that falls into, you know, you, you make the point about if you're not mathematically and, and say financially inclined, those can, that can be a bit of a minefield. And so I do think that bookkeeping is a, is a strong candidate for being outsourced, whether that's uh, using contract bookkeepers somewhere or you bring somebody in who's just part-time working for you um, to, to do whatever's necessary. I think that's, that's probably the way forward. Uh, look for the most cost-effective solution, but don't skimp because a bookkeeper who doesn't do a good job will cost you more in the long run. A good bookkeeper will be building up your financial records such that they conveniently move to the next stage of being converted into accounts, being converted into tax calculations, etc., etc. But I would recommend that one monitors what a bookkeeper is doing, has regular reports, reviews, monthly statements that the bookkeeper is producing of what's going on in your business. Your financial records are such an important source of intelligence about what is and isn't working within your company and where the real the real seam of greatness for sustainability within your business is cash is king. I keep saying it as long as as long as I've got breath in my lungs, I tell everybody cash is king when it comes to small businesses and startups. And if you need to get some training to enable you to read a a ledger to understand how costs, uh, income, and expenses are posted within a profit and loss account, then go off and get that training. It will be one of the best investments you can make in your, of your time and your money um, and ultimately may lead you to believe that there is a different way of doing your financial uh, records um, than outsourcing it to a bookkeeper. I suppose we could also talk about you know what else is you might find in terms of insurances and import and exporting all those might be alien concepts to you and you just want to get on and do what you are going to do in your entrepreneurial journey there's agencies around you can have an insurance agent who'll who'll do all that for you you can have an, an import export agent who'll do all that for you and of course on the contracting side if you if you're not not minded to um, put together uh, the simple forms that uh, that can be done here, then you can always contract with a lawyer to to get those documents written up for you. Um, so I think yeah, it, it's the, the, there is the opportunity to outsource all of the above. But I would encourage the entrepreneur to, at the point of the startup, try and do as much of it for themselves as they can. 
and certainly understand what is being done because that is so vitally important to monitor these building blocks, monitor these foundations and allow them to grow and develop positively as the primary intent of the business grows and develops on top of those business foundations. And if you do do a course in bookkeeping or whatever, you can expense that, can't you? Because it's for the... Correct. For yes, the absolutely. business. Yep, very important point, yes. And we'll chat about expenses in, a, in another episode, perhaps. Just one other point, Beth, just on this that I, I've neglected to mention, and that is that if you are a partnership, LLP, or a limited company, all of the above, which I talked about in the context of a sole trader, all of the above still applies, but you will also then have responsibilities around what I would call member meetings. So a limited company will require to have an AGM. Um, there may need to be board meetings to make certain types of decisions, depending on how the shareholders' agreement is structured. And on the matter of an LLP, there may need to be management meetings that are held and partnership meetings that are held. So there might be some statutory or contractual processes that the company has to go through, boxes it has to tick. And these should all be well known about, diarised, planned for and executed so that they're, they're treated positively rather than becoming a negative within your business. But but in the matter of partnerships, LLPs and limited companies, those types of things are just as important in the business basics, the business foundations as all of the above okay so i have another question from one of our listeners so the question is i currently successfully run a branch of a business and i have been doing it for a few years and feel like i've learned a lot of skills in the business side and would be able to apply these to my own company but at the moment i'm not sure what that company will be i don't know what service or the offer or product would be for the market what did paul do to discover the thing that he enjoyed slash the gap in the market to make his own business I think it's a great question. I wonder myself how many people do start their entrepreneurial journey by saying, I want to work for myself, but I'm not sure what to do, versus those who say, this is what I do and I'd like to do it for myself. I don't know the answer to that, but I think there probably are a lot of people out there, I very much hope there are, who aspire to fulfill their potential as an entrepreneur uh, working for themselves, who don't yet know what the magic dust is, if you will, the mousetrap that they're going to have as their business idea. So where do we find opportunities from? My own experience has been that the next big thing is very rare to be involved in. Usually the next big thing is something that is driven by speculative research and development, billions of dollars being expended by visionaries. Um, Most next big things, in fact, actually are evolutions. You know, um, should we ever come across a cure for cancer, it'll probably be as a result of evolution of existing disease treatments or genetic sciences. Um, Should we find commercial space travel, something which is a possibility in the future, it'll be an evolution of existing rocket technologies, the way we launch rockets the way we reuse rockets etc so I don't think we're looking here at how does one discover the next big thing to jump on that bandwagon and start up in that context I think it's more of a practical set of uh, things one can do so let's let's assume that most startups are going to be looking to do something that's already done but they're going to do it better faster cheaper They're going to do it in a way that offers more choice, it's more local, it's more sustainable, it's things that are available in different sizes, quantities, whatever it might be. It could be any of the above and all of the above. But it's looking for improvement on something that's already being done. That's where I think most...
most startups will sit in the the sphere that we're talking about in this series of podcasts and the other condition about how you decide what it is that you want to do in your startup is going to be about what your funding levels are and what the type of funding is if you've got no money and you aspire to be an entrepreneur and to start up something that's going to limit what sort of things you can do if you have some money or you have an investor that's willing to back you that opens up your opportunities somewhat more widely I think in terms of becoming aware of what you can do This is around being alive to what's going on around you. It's about understanding what's happening now, but nothing's ever forever. And so if there is nothing you see at the moment in the business world you're in, the personal societal world that you turn in, in the stuff you read, the stuff you listen to, there's nothing in there that's inspiring you at the moment. That will change over time because nothing's static. Everything's moving. So opportunities that don't appear at the moment may appear in the future. So don't feel down if you can't see anything right now. Keep looking, keep reappraising and use time as your friend in that regard. Observation, very important. What do you notice? What could be done better, faster, cheaper? What opportunities does current disruption in markets create? For example, we have emerging markets at the moment. Underdeveloped countries are looking to buy huge amounts of stuff from developed countries. Localities are becoming better connected and that's opening up markets. Um, Solutions, ultra-fast internet, water purification. These are all things that are emerging at the moment. What will be the consequences of that? What might be opportunities for small business startups to come in around some of the this emerging disruption. We've got current disruptors in the market, which I think is fueling a huge amount of thought about new business opportunities. Um, AI bots, the um, open AI chat GPT, uh, Google's Bard, um, others I'm not aware of that I'm sure are in development. There's a, a lot of uh, a lot of talk that I'm, I'm hearing, uh, reading about at the moment, but what that's going to do to value-added services and solutions that people can create based upon that disruptive uh, change. Autonomous vehicles, I think there's still much to be done around what's going to happen there. Renewable energy, still still just t- tips of the icebergs being touched in these fields and lots of stuff will, will crop up that may give ideas on small business opportunities around there. And then established um, disruptive areas. So social media, for example, like TikTok, you know, we thought social media was done, didn't we? And then TikTok came along and we've got, now got a, an entire population of TikTok entrepreneurs, it would seem, heat pumps. Everybody's supposed to be having a heat pump, certainly here in the UK at the moment, but that's not working. We're not going anywhere with that, it seems to me. There must be ways in which domestic energy consumption can be better managed. Um, and what about the problem of this, this large-scale 50-plus retiree group that we have who are limiting people coming into the labour market? Are there services or products that can be developed that can encourage certain people back into the workplace again? All, all, all just disruptions that we read about and hear about that make waves and it's in, in amongst those waves that there may be the seeds of ideas for small businesses. I'd encourage anybody who's uh, looking for something 
do as an entrepreneur to read widely, look, uh, make connections between what you read, periodicals, newspaper, online news forms, books, autobiographies, whatever it is you can get your hands on and however much time you can allocate to it, read widely, read broadly um, and look for connections in there, look for indicators, signposts to common thoughts about stuff not being done well, things that could be done faster, cheaper or better. Likewise, listen and question. Ask people in your work network and in your social network what's missing in their business, their life. What could be done better, faster, cheaper in their business or in their life? And just making your own notes and again making those connections across what you read, what you hear, what you can find out through questioning, what you observe as you go through life. Be alive, be aware to what's going on around you and in there somewhere there will be the seeds of an idea that you can then work on as your potential topic for your startup. Cool. Lots of research then. Yeah, yeah. What's the, what's, what's, what's the saying? Um, I can't remember. There's a, there's a saying, it's something like, um, startup is easy, success is hard work. It's, it's not that, but it, it's a, an old saying which really speaks to the fact that fulfilling the potential of your startup or your idea is where the real sweat goes in you know there was an interesting conversation I was listening to I can't remember where it was not so long ago which was exploring whether entrepreneurship is a moment in time thing or a sustainable thing at what point do I become an entrepreneur and at what point do I stop being an entrepreneur because the entrepreneurial piece I think is the creation yeah in my creative writing right now I've got down to and it's sort of alluded to in a lot of the textbooks that I've been reading but I've, I've I've got it structured in my head now that there is the art and the craft of writing and right now I'm thinking that the the art is a small piece and the craft is the much larger piece and the art is very cerebral it's super rough writing or typing it's highly creative emotionally charged there's no rules around it whatsoever it can go anywhere I want it to it's limited only by my imagination uh, and may not even be limited by my imagination maybe yet to be stimulated by my imagination I might write about things I can't imagine right now because I don't because it'll be a consequence of whatever highly artistic and then once I've got that that thing down that essence of my story down essence of my plot essence of my characters my series of events my chronology my period my this my that my the other once all that's down then the work starts now I've got to think about structure prose editing um, rewriting reordering uh, all that stuff and that's where the real sweat goes in to produce something that other people want to read because at the point at which I created it the only person wants to read it's me because it's unreadable to anybody else to make it readable to others I've got to go through all that work where was I a writer I think I think I was I was a I did my creative writing in the art stage and I'm now working as an as an a technical author almost in the crafting stage yeah self-editing yeah so and I think business potentially in the, the entrepreneurial phase is potentially that artistic phase mm -hmm. and then we become managers and leaders and we only maintain our entrepreneurial badge, if you will, if we keep transitioning our business. Yeah. 
Um, if we keep turning it on a dime, adding completely new and different things to it, you know, opening up a new market for an existing product or a new product in an existing market, I think that's management and leadership. That's the essential strategy of a growing business. Mm -hmm. But for you to start up your own interior design practice and then a year later decide that you're going to open up a tile shop, a ceramic tile shop, I think that's you, you go back to the entrepreneurial phase again there because there's creativity, there's artistry, there's there's cerebral, unlimited imagination that's got to be brought to bear that then gets crunched down to a business plan that gets crunched down to an execution plan and you move back to leadership and management. Mm -hmm. So I think entrepreneurialism and entrepreneurial ship is something that we touch upon and move away from. And then if we're a serial entrepreneur, we touch upon it and move away from it as we go through these things. Yeah. And people, most people may only be an entrepreneur once in their life, but good luck to them if that brings them everything they want mm -hmm. from the idea of having started up their own business and made it successful. Thank you for listening to the eighth episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next week when we will be talking about taking an income from your business and other financial considerations. Please follow, like, review and head to our Instagram at tellmeaboutpod and our website tellmeaboutpod.com to keep updated. Mm -hmm.